0: Hello everyone, this is Will from Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to our brand new episode of The Missing Piece. Now, Constitution is considered as one of the most important and impeccable documents as America continued to progress. Besides the words on the document, more than 50 founding fathers actually signed their names to show the determination as well as their devotion to the greatest nation. Alexander Hamilton was one of them. Most of us are familiar with Contribution as One American Patriot. However, our guest today is going to tell us something quite surprising regarding this luminary. A native of Princeton, New Jersey, Dr. Andrew Paul Wancher, and earned a degree from Brown and Northwestern before completing his PhD in history at Cambridge, and currently he served as the Wick Carey Associate Professor at the University of Oklahoma and from 2020 to 2022, and Ernest May Fellow at the Harvard University, and his latest book, The Jewish World of Alexander Hamilton is coming out soon. Dr. Paul Wancher, welcome to my show.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Will. And uh, thanks to everybody at home for tuning in and for listening. really appreciate it.
0: Well, Dr. Paul Wancher, let's get started. You know, as I mentioned before, most of us as Americans, we're familiar with the name Alexander Hamilton. Of course, given the condition that the musical Hamilton just went wild, However, that when we talk about this person, most of it did not even expect has this has connection between this person and the Jewish uh, world or Jewish her- uh, heritage. So can you share us a little bit what motivate you or what inspire you to get started on this book? Why is it so significant for you to uh, to write this book at this moment?
1: Yeah, well, well thanks you know, so much for that question. It's a good one. I initially started teaching constitutional history at the University of Oklahoma back in 2011, and Hamilton is a central figure in America's constitutional history. So before he became really popular with the musical, which didn't debut until 2015, Hamilton was a pivotal figure in my courses. As a historian, I like to bring in biographical details about the figures that I'm discussing with my students to make constitutional history seem less of a bloodless abstraction and more of a human three-dimensional reality. And in talking with my students about biographical details about Hamilton, I was struck in doing some reading, preparing for class, that Hamilton was born in the Caribbean. He had a a mother named Rachel Levine, which is a a Jewish name, Mm. and she enrolled him in a Jewish school where he began a traditional rudimentary entry study of the Torah of the Hebrew Bible in the original Hebrew. And I thought these are really curious facts for someone who historians have long told us was born a an Christian. And so I received a research grant to go to the Caribbean and start digging around in the archives and testing this theory. And that's how the project got started.
0: Well, Dr. Paul Wancher, again, I believe Alexander Hamilton, he was quite a character, and he was really unique. You know, uh, even, again, he wasn't born in this country, but somehow, if I'm not mistaken, through the history, that he lied about his age when he was enrolled in this college, and, I mean, how, how, how should we understand this character? Because, again, given his background... How would you think that we should understand this character a little bit?
1: Sure. So the question about him lying about his age is a really interesting one. All of the evidence from the Caribbean places his date of birth between April and August of 1754, and yet when he gets to America, he claims to have been born in January of 1757. So why would Hamilton lie about his age? Well, Hamilton was enrolling at what was then called King's College, what mm. we now call Columbia, mm. and King's College skewed younger than other institutions of higher learning. The average incoming freshman was only about fifteen years old, and Hamilton was closer to eighteen. And so, it makes sense that Hamilton, as a Caribbean outsider who you know was didn't have a lot of financial resources either was eager to fit in. It makes sense that he would have obscured his age, but once he gets to America, having committed to a 1757 birth year, he has to maintain this fiction for the rest of his life, for consistency's sake. And so there are two important lessons for my purposes to glean from this anecdote. First, Hamilton was willing to obscure some foundational aspect of his Caribbean heritage. Mm. And secondly, just as importantly, He was able to get away with it without any Caribbean contemporary ever correcting him, ever outing him as actually having been born in 1754. And so his success in hiding details about his West Indian past makes it all the more plausible that Hamilton could have grown up with a Jewish identity and then was able to successfully obscure that identity in his new American life.
0: Hmm. Well, we always say there is a saying, especially in education, and we always say people are the product of the environment. So the next question, I really want to talk about the relationship between Hamilton and his mother. And Dr. Paul Wancher, can you get into a little bit, how do you think that, as you mentioned before, it was Rachel Levine. How did Rachel Levine actually influence the Hamilton? And even though, you know was born the caribbeans and but what about the relationship part that's number one and the second thing is, I think is most of well, most of us are interested is how do you know or do we know for certain that Alexander Hamilton was Jewish or wh- wh- how, how do we put the Jewish and A- Alexander Hamilton together what is the relationship between those two
1: sure well these are, these are both good questions and maybe I could try to answer them together sure this, these two components fit together So, Rachel is not born Rachel Levine. She's born Rachel Fawcett. She's not born Jewish. She's born a Christian.
0: Okay. But
1: what's striking about Rachel is that as a teenager, she marries a merchant in the Danish West Indies named Johan Levine. And there are reasons to believe that she may have converted to Judaism in order to marry Levine, partly because when she has a son with Johann Levine named Peter Levine they don't have him infant baptized mm. he later gets an adult baptism when he joins a church in adulthood but under circumstances that only make sense if he's converting to Christianity and then she bears Alexander out of wedlock to a scottish colonist and although the scottish colonist is not jewish the fact that Rachel enrolls Alexander in a jewish school at a time when we have every reason to believe that Jewish schools in the Caribbean exclusively educated Jewish children all would suggest that she had earlier converted to Judaism. And then perhaps for reasons of spirituality or perhaps for reasons of convenience finds it valuable to trade on an earlier Jewish conversion to gain some measure of acceptance for her and her son in this Jewish community. And so to be clear, the historical record from the 18th century Caribbean is fragmentary. Mm. We have lost documents to hurricanes, to fires, termites have eaten portions of many of the surviving documents. And so when you're dealing with a fragmentary historical record, you have to bring the historian a lot of humility to any claims that you make. And so all of my claims about his religious identity and childhood, indeed, much of what we might say about most aspects of Hamilton upbringing are clusters of probability rather than certainty. And so my claim is that when you look at these facts in tandem, it would suggest that the balance of evidence points to a likely Jewish identity in Hamilton's early years. Mm. But we have to be very careful not to speak in terms beyond what the evidence allows. And with respect to his mother, we... Because the historical record is fragmentary, there's a lot of unanswered questions. But from what we do know about his mother, we see much of what we would come to see in the son in his own adulthood. They're both very willful. They're both willing to take risks. They're both willing to buck the opinion of others. Mm. And they both lead their lives uh, in a fashion where they're perhaps risky to the point of being hazardous. And so we see that uh, the son clearly has some characteristics of the mother. Um, You know, what exactly the tenor of their emotional relationship was like is not something we can know with certainty, but we can try to make informed guesses based on the surviving documents that we do
0: have. Mm. Well, again, Dr. Paul Wanscher. if I'm not mistaken, before we conducting this interview and I started to do a little research on my own, and I find out that Alexander's Alexander Hamilton's mother actually died and when Alexander was uh, in, in this young age, and now he became an orphan. Now, do you think that the the dis- how can I say um the disconnection between the child and his parents create some um, either positive or negative impact on his life journey because we know that Alexander Hamilton was considered as one of the important or even irreplaceable figure for American society or even American history how do you think that he, over the years that he dealt with the fact that he was an orphan and all oh, this tragedy happened to this person how did he get through this
1: yeah, it's it's really striking. Uh, his mother, as you know, dies when he's young, when he's only 13. At that point, his father had abandoned him. And he then is taken into the custody of an older cousin. And then that cousin kills himself. Mm. And Hamilton just has one calamity befall him after the next. And for almost anyone else, this set of circumstances would crush them. And yet Hamilton, through sheer force of will and strength of intellect, is able to overcome the perils of destitute orphanhood to become, as you know, a major figure in the birth of the United States. It's an extraordinary story. It's a testament to his singular resilience. And so I think we can owe it in part to his tenacity, in part to his intellectual brilliance, in part to Hamilton's ability to seek out In older male figures with George Washington, people who, for someone else, maybe they would have been less likely to cultivate those relationships because they had a father of their own. But Hamilton, who was bereft of parents, understood the value of finding older people who would be invested in him, um, sometimes almost as parent-like figures. And so Hamilton, on, on the one hand, is able to take this tragedy and turn it into a success story. And yet, I read Hamilton's decision to step onto the dueling grounds with Aaron Burr, Mm. where Hamilton is tragically killed uh, at a much younger age than other founders who live into their golden years. I think that is a reflection, perhaps, of his orphanhood as well, because it seems that for Hamilton, something was always missing, no matter what he accomplished in life, despite his battlefield heroics in the revolution. Despite his extraordinary policy achievements and government, it seems that the feet of a lifetime were unequal to satiate this inner hunger that he had born of this tragic upbringing. And for Hamilton, perhaps he steps on dueling grounds because he has something of a death wish. Because of this emptiness that he feels from his childhood, he believes that only glory and death could provide him what all the accomplishments of a lifetime could not.
0: Mm. Dr. Pawantra, what about his faith? Because we know that I can say among all the founding fathers that every single one of them was dedicated to this Christianity, where was everyone was so devoted himself to keep this Christian value for the country. But again, given this condition that, based on what you just mentioned, that Rachel uh, Levine that she had this Christian background, and then um she she was abandoned by the husband, and they had this Jewish background. But it was all this combination of multi-religious together. But I wanna I wanna understand is what about Alexander Hamilton? How important Christian value to him personally and. And also, when he really actually in, in, enrolled in college, you know, uh, today's the Columbia University, he met all these people, including George Washington. There's a big names. Do you think that he could able to use his faith value to to really build connection with them? How significant was this Christian value or even this a uh, uh, religious uh, background?
1: Yeah, you know the the topic of Hamilton's relationship with Christianity is a really interesting and really complicated one. And it's something I delve into in the book, which, by the way, I hope you won't mind me mentioning, it is available for pre-order on Amazon. So if anyone's interested, uh, check it out.
0: Great, Uh, that's a good news.
1: (laughs) It is good news, it is good news. So you can pre-order it now, and if you're in the U.S., it'll be available in August, if you're in the U.K. in September.
0: Awesome.
1: So Hamilton comes to America and actually in one of one of the points I make in the book is that we know that by the age of 17 before Hamilton even leaves the Caribbean he's identifying as Christian because he testifies in a court case when he's assessed for his competency to swear on the bible as a witness he testifies that he's anglican but Hamilton is actually forbidden from giving sworn testimony because he had never taken communion mm. and so the fact that hamilton is a 17 year old hadn't taken communion but is identifying as anglican would suggest that one it's clear that any jewish identity he may have had is a thing of the past he is unequivocally christian at this point and yet his affiliation with christianity was relatively newfound because if he had grown up anglican he almost certainly would have been uh taking communion by then, and so Hamilton gets to America. He continues to nominally identify as Anglican. It appears that Hamilton, to the extent that he's uh, talking about Christianity in his correspondence, it tends to be with his wife. He married a woman who's much more of a pious Christian than he is. Mm. She attends church. He doesn't actually formally belong to a church. If you look in the communion books of Trinity Church in New York, where she belonged. Her name appears in the communion books, but his do not. Mm. Um, But Hamilton is interested in talking about Christianity with respect to the broader political environment. And so at one point, he floats an idea for a Christian constitutional society because he thinks that the Federalist Party, his party, is insufficiently attuned to people's passion and overly attuned to making cerebral arguments And he says, if we really want to excite people emotionally, we should speak to them in religious terms. Mm. And so I do think Hamilton is thinking about Christianity, but as far as his public life goes, I think he's thinking about it as a political instrument. And with respect to his private life, when he does correspond with his wife, Eliza, he will urge her to have Christian fortitude or Christian resignation, in his words, when someone in her family is struggling with illness or perhaps someone in her family passes away Mm. and so he knows that his wife is a pious christian and he does urge her to lean on christianity in these moments of crisis but hamilton himself doesn't appear to have been personally devout as a christian but i will mention as a caveat that on his deathbed after he's shot he's still alive for another day and he asks communion,
0: wow! And the
1: bishop is actually reticent to give him communion because Hamilton hasn't taken communion before.
0: Exactly, and he
1: doesn't want. Yeah, he doesn't want to give Hamilton this eleventh-hour communion as this last-ditch bid for grace. But Hamilton is able to convince the bishop to give him, him communion, and so this raises an interesting question: Why? Why does Hamilton take communion after a life in which, relative to some of the other founders, he's relatively? distant from organized Christianity. And one possibility is that, and I say this in the book, perhaps he he accepts Jesus Christ in these waning moments. Another possibility is that Hamilton, married to a very devout Christian, knows that it will offer his wife a significant measure of solace if he takes communion in his final moments. And perhaps it's something he did uh, as much for his wife as, as for any other spiritual reason. And so... Hamilton, to his dying day, has an enigmat- has, has a enigmatic and somewhat complicated relationship with organized faith. Mm.
0: Well, Dr. Paul Wancher, again, just based on what you describe, I don't want you to give away every single chapter that you wrote in this book. Because, again, if we're going to have this conversation, I believe we can have this conversation for another three to four hours for you to... Totally, fully explain that your research and your work in this book. But I got one more question for you. Now, the same question I ask every single guest is, when people get a copy for your book, and when they really dive into this, the Jewish world of Alexander Hamilton, what do you think that the most important thing you want readers to understand?
1: That's such a great question, Will. This book, in part, is about an argument concerning the likelihood of Hamilton's Jewish identity, but it is just as much, if not more so, about a relationship that Hamilton cultivates with the American Jewish community. And Hamilton, more than any other American founder, is an advocate for equality for Jews in a new American republic, that is dedicated in name, but not yet quite in reality mm. to the principle of equality. And I think that that story is so important, and so relevant today, because we're in a moment when the scourge of anti-Semitism has resurfaced with new vigor on both sides of the Atlantic. And when neo-Nazis march in the streets of Charlottesville and chant, Jews will not replace us. Encoded within those words is a rendition of American history that says people like these neo Nazis, their ancestors, they came first, they founded the country, they're real Americans, and Jews are somehow outsiders, they're interlopers, they're latecomers. And the story of Hamilton's relationship with the American Jewish community and their shared fight for civic equality is an important reminder that Jews have always been a part of the American experiment mm. since the very dawn of the Republic.
0: Exactly.
1: And I hope readers in picking up my book are able to glean something about the import and the heritage of religious pluralism that's still relevant in America today.
0: Wow, Dr. Andrew Poencher I can't put a better way than what you just said. Again, Dr. Andrew Paul Wancher is the author of the new book, The Jewish World of Alexander Hamilton. And right now we can actually pre-order through Amazon. And um, the American version is available in August. And the UK version available in September. Dr. Paul Wancher, thank you so much for spending your precious time on my show. And again, not just myself. And I hope that all the people who are watching and who are listening will be very thrilled about this new book because this is something that is going to open up a whole new conversation, hopefully not just in America, but across the world. Thank you, Doctor.
1: Thank you, Will. I had a blast.